to Planes, Trains, and Automobile Days, the podcast where we fly the friendly skies of the 1987 Thanksgiving classic, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one sinus clearing day at a time. I'm your host, Sean, and with me is... Brian, his brother. (laughs) My brother, Brian, thank you for joining us. And uh, we have a special guest for uh, joining us today for day one from the Bat Minute podcast. It's Niall McGowan. Oh, hey, How's, how's it going, everybody? Great, great, great. Yeah, going, going. Very <laughs> Excited good. to talk about this movie. Oh yeah, I, I should say uh, just for the sake of clarity, because the last one of these projects <laughs> that Sean did last year with um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Days, yes. I, I was there uh, being polite and pretending to like the film uh, when it came out much later that, uh, no, I, I did not oh, care you do, uh, That's interesting. You did not like that movie. No, yeah. no. Okay. And, and I, oh, I only spoke up because Neil Brown was brave enough to come on the show and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> but I can say I do genuinely love this film. Like This is, this is one that I've seen many, many times and I have a great affection for, so... I was happy. To, I was leaping at the chance to come on to talk about th- th- this film. <laughs> yes. I'm skeptical. He was only lying about the last one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It'll, yeah, we, we can trust you this time. It's, this time it'll be different, Niall. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yeah, I promise you, John. They're, oh, John. Sean. Oh, I'm too used to, I'm too used to having the other guy here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah uh, so we should say, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll We'll talk. Well, we don't have to, but I will uh, talk a little bit about uh, Niles' podcast, which is uh, Bat Minute, where they talk about. Well, they started with uh, the 1989 Tim Burton's Batman movie, and uh, they've moved on to Batman Returns. Mm. And uh, what I hear is that the plan is to continue with oh, yeah. uh, non non Tim Burton Batman movies. Oh yeah, that was all. Gonna... It, it was always the plan was was to do the first yeah. four at the least, four. Yeah. and then they were like, "Oh, we'll see what happens later on." But then some other guys came in, and they did specifically say, "Do you mind if we do the Dark Knight trilogy?" And we're like, "Yeah, well, I mean, we wouldn't be getting to that for years. Who are we to step on your toes?" So exactly, yeah. But there was still yeah. afterwards, like I'd. And, you know, the, the, I haven't spoke to John about too much, but I wouldn't mind covering some of the animated films and, and oh, yeah. after, after Batman and Robin. But we'll see what happens. We, we, we just don't know. Mask of the Phantasm could be the the best Batman movie out there. I, I, I always say that it is. But then the danger of us covering that minute by minute would be that John's never seen it. So he'd be like, what? so what's happening here? And I'd just be like, it's amazing. Everything about this film is amazing. I have right. no bad words to say about a single shot in this whole thing. This is all fantastic. All right, yeah, and uh, well, and uh, Niall's uh, co-host on, uh, on that podcast is uh, John Parker, who mm-hmm. uh, no show. <laughs> I can't, well, I make it sound like he was supposed to show. No, he he uh, he made it quite clear. I that, think his uh, his flight was delayed, uh, yes. so he's he think he might he might be bumped. But uh, yeah. we're waiting. He, he, he has to go. find he's... a payphone to ring us to tell. <laughs> he might get here just yeah. in time. You just never right, know. We'll, right. we'll see. Yeah, we're, we're holding a spot at the table for him, but uh, yeah. He may be stuck on a train that broke down in the middle of nowhere. That's we don't, right. We don't know what's happening <laughs> with him. But, uh, um, but we're not here to talk about uh, John Parker. Um, but we are here to talk about the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, one day at a time. And so just a quick introduction for folks that don't know uh, what's what's going on here. Um, welcome to the club. Um, we're, we're among those people as well. But uh, so this is, um, well, way back when. In, in the early years, uh, some folks, uh, Pete the Retailer and, and Alex Robinson, uh, started a podcast called uh, Star Wars Minute, 
where they covered the Star Wars movies one minute at a time. And that seemed like a lot of fun, but it seemed like it took a lot of time. There's yeah. a lot of move. There are a lot of minutes in the, in the typical movie. And then, uh, our buddy Christopher Dennis DeGuardia noticed that, well, some movies happen by days. And, uh, as we, we started last year with the, the previous mentioned National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which happens over the course of uh, December leading up to Christmas. And we covered that last year, one day at a time. And so we're, um, we're on to a different movie and a different holiday. So this year it is Thanksgiving and the movie is Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Uh, this happens over the course of three days leading up to Thanksgiving. And so we're, uh, we're covering it one day at a time. <laughs> I'm curious to see like if the next, next year is going to be like, oh, Instead of sticking with the holiday theme, you stick with like John Hughes, and then it's like we're doing the Breakfast Club <laughs> one day at a time. <laughs> we're just talking about the whole movie. That oh, was that. There's one episode. That's very efficient. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. It just turns into a, a normal yeah. film review show all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I like I like where your head's at because uh, as as you were talking, my first thought was uh, like like ten thousand years of solitude, one day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> that would take a while. Um, but uh, so getting into it, so day one, we have a uh, businessman, Neil Page, is flying home to Chicago from New York City two days before Thanksgiving. And uh, he faces disaster after disaster in the form of stolen taxis, redirected flights, and traveling companion, Del Griffith. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to blow your wad in before the introduction of Del, because there's a lot of, there's a lot to talk about with, with him, basically. I will notice, though, that the, the, there's a little bit in the opening scene of uh, Neil at work when they're waiting for the, their, their boss to sort of give them the, the go-ahead on a, a layout for a magazine that seems to have – it seems to be like a mm -hmm. woman's magazine? It's, I it's, think it's it's um, it's advertising. They're looking at uh, – I believe it's lipstick. I know at one point he mentions, oh, it's just cosmetics. It's just right. not curing cancer or something like that. So it's uh, it looks like a lipstick or some sort of makeup ad that the, that the guy's reviewing. Yeah, uh, but it's just the fact, though. I guess maybe that was just typical back in the day to have like a bunch of cr crusty old white guys. That's what I think it was. <laughs> like, well, yeah, because no one in this room is going to use this product. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they're not even. They don't even seem to have like. I think they've got a, a female stenographer there, but there's no like woman to bounce this off to be like, well, would this appeal to you, or would this appeal to your? Any of your sensibilities is just like, no, we know what we're doing. We we, we we got this sorted. Although they do seem to be very rich, so maybe they actually do. <laughs> yes. Maybe they do know what they're doing. And, and now in that scene, they, they do show Neil's watch, and it's it's a Movado Sapphire that I did find was approximately eleven $1 hundred dollars. So Ooh. it is showing it is showing a is you know, he could be he could be a one percenter over here. Oh definitely yeah. uh Now I had some Oh, this is – we're going to get contentious right off from the bat. Okay. <laughs> I've got some different research on the watch. Okay. Um, I couldn't quite make out the name. I see – but it, I see like it starts with a P. There's something. starts with a P and ends with a T. Um, my research indicated this was actually uh, – I'm not sure if it's Paget. P-I-A-G-E-T. Hmm. Um, we'll have to – Not not a Movado. Um, and what this, it, but it's also a, an upscale watch. This is a, a brand I was not familiar with. I'm not a, a big watch guy. And, uh, but this, this brand is particular for being very thin. Uh, they have, and I didn't realize this is something that they kept track of, but they've got several world records in terms oh. of uh, the thinnest watches. 
um, with the, the thinnest movement. But it is, uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely an upscale watch, and I think it's going to give us an indication of uh, of what kind of person we're dealing with. Who would wear this? this right. Kind of watch. I, I mean, I definitely think there's a little bit of a of a class struggle in this movie between Neil and Dell. Yeah. It actually it specifically evoked uh, something in me. Uh, it brought back memories of another Steve Martin movie. Um, weirdly enough, my history with this particular film was not so much like childhood nostalgia. Like I did see it when I was a kid, but it was I'm more associated with uh, university and like the couple of years thereafter, where you know you're just having a good time every weekend. And we used to have every Sunday people would sit, just lie around our house. Like usually, like people who didn't even live there were just lying around the sofas, and we'd always stick on a couple of different films. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was one that was in frequent rotation because everybody loved it. But uh, we'd also do weird things like when Netflix was on the rise. Uh, we'd have like mini movie festivals of random people. So we one one time we had Jane Adams season, the woman who plays Mel and Frasier. We're like type her name into <laughs> Netflix and see what movies come up. And the thing was like Orange County, and then one of them was uh, uh, Father of the Bride Part Two. And at the end of that, everyone was really incensed because I think that the, Steve Martin's character in Father of the Bride Part Two seems to have limitless money. Like is, he is, he seems to be insanely rich. Where like right. the, 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 there's a bit where they they have to, I think he's, he sells his house to Eugene Levy and then he buys it back at like five times the price or something. So it's a couple hundred grand he's spending on it just to get his own house yeah. back. And then there's uh, like he throws a baby shower or something afterwards, and all of a sudden Martin Short's like, yeah, don't look at the 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 quote we've given you. And then Steve Martin's is like, oh whatever. And then you're like, well, what can he do? What what work does he have? And it's like, oh, all you see him is going to work to take a nap. He's like, I need to go to the office to go to sleep for a few hours because I was so busy at home. And we were just like, what? Oh, this asshole. We hated Steve Martin for that. Right. So that's now every time I do see Steve Martin, I do have a kind of like, oh, he always plays the rich upper crust. This good dude. Yeah, that's that's what it looks like here. This uh, marketing executive, you know? Yeah. I'd say the thing is, maybe I'm just coming at it from like a – a post-recession age or something where it's like, well, everyone is having a tough time. Maybe in the like late 80s, early 90s, this was par for the course. I know it isn't John Hughes movies anyway because every friggin' house... Like, look at the McAllister's house in Home Alone. Like, yes. what, the hell, what the hell are those guys doing for that giant <laughs> mansion? That's right. And to fly everybody out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's crazy how much money John Hughes is... What, what background does he come from? He just, yeah, but I just have this... Limitless funds coming around here, and that's the thing. And within this movie, is that getting access to the money is sometimes a problem, but the actual act of having the money never seems to be an issue for 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 Neil, at least. Anyway, right? Oh, he's definitely uh, upper class, I would say here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the the only other thing about the watch I noticed was that they've done a little bit of clever mise-en-scene there where it's got little bars down the front where it looks like it's looks like prison bars. So is it trying oh. to say that he is a slave to time that he's under a duress schedule perhaps? Yes. That kind of thing or that's oh. an interesting yeah, that is true. That. I mean, let's also realize his, his the issue here is he's trying to get back to his family on Thanksgiving. I mean, if he happened to be late, it's not the end of the world for most people. Yeah. <laughs> but here, I mean, it's a real you know, he needs to get back. You know, he's very important that he has to get back to his family. That's his main problem. Right. Where Dell obviously there's a lot more issues going on where well, Yes, yeah. well, we'll get to those okay, later. Okay, we'll get. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to <laughs> get too far ahead. 
Um, now, something else with this scene of the shot of the watch is it gives us uh, an indication of what time it is for our characters. And uh, it, it took me a while to figure this out. I'm used to digital where they just give you numbers. You don't have to decode. But uh, my research uh, tells me that the time on this watch is uh, 15 minutes to 5 o'clock. He, so what, what the flight's at 6, isn't it? Or, yeah. That's, so that's, that is yeah. cutting it insanely fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I did a little research. And uh, as we'll see later on this, the street. So they're in, I guess it'd be considered Midta- Midtown, Manhattan, Midtown. We see signs there. Uh, they're moving between Madison and Park Avenue um, around 55th, uh, 54th Street. Although I, at one point we actually see a sign for the Hotel Elise. E-L-Y-S-E-E, um, which is on 54th between Madison and Park. So it gives us an indication of, of where he is. And then when we when they flash us the, the plane ticket to show that he's got a flight, a 6 o'clock flight out of JFK, which is uh, John F. Kennedy Airport in Queens, it's depending on the route you take, it's 16 to 19 miles from, uh, from Midtown Manhattan. And without traffic, it's a 35-minute drive. Okay. So... Uh, you know, we don't see exactly how much longer the scene goes on after this point, but let's assume it's six. By the time he gets out of the meeting, gets in the elevator, gets down to the street, gets a cab, it's six o'clock at best. Mm. Thirty-five minutes to the airport. It's and, and I mean that's no traffic at rush hour. It's going to be a lot longer. You know, even without checking bags, he's not making this flight. Yeah, I'm I'm a guy of like I need to get to that airport like an hour beforehand because then right. you have all the business of like. Even back then, you didn't even have like online check-in. You would have to go up to mm-hmm. the desk check-in properly, and then have to go through the security, and, and then you've got the airport crowd. So that security is not going to be like, oh, just wander in. It's going to be you'll be standing in a queue for God knows how long. And yeah, I, I, I don't know why like he didn't take like a half day or something, or like well, you know, why at this point when uh, Ferris Bueller's dad saying to him like. You're you're not gonna make this. You should get on the the eight or whatever with with me. He's just like I would be like yeah. Clearly I need to do that. But I know he says I told the wife I'd be home at I'd be in by nine. But just phone her and say yeah, it's not gonna happen. I'm gonna be in at eleven. And there you go. You're you're done. And I do wonder, I, I, even though if he had in the past maybe issues with him and the wife, maybe he's always out and he's not that reliable. Uh, they seem to resolve it all, but I, I did wonder watching this if he he was so uh, firm with having to catch the six as though he promised his wife, man, who knows? Maybe he was he's unreliable. Yeah, well, maybe so. he's trying to he's show trying her. To prove himself. Like I, I told her I'd be back. I I haven't kept my word in the past year. I gotta be back. I gotta be on the six. Mm. Yeah, could, could be, could be, but um, yeah, that seems like a lot of uh, just. I'm guessing maybe because I, I don't have that kind of level of a, a job so i don't know why you can't just go hey i gotta go like you know can you just email not email but can you tell some get someone to tell me what you've decided and then yeah we'll deal with that after or is that a thing where it's like no you need to be there and the boss will not tolerate you walking away or and you can't just say to him i've got a flight because he doesn't care because and he will happily get rid of you because right it's a doggy dog world kind of kind of thing yeah what, what I, they don't they don't give us too much, which is nice. They don't, uh, you know, overburden us with information. My, the impression I got from the scene is that uh, that uh, Neil here and the, the father from Ferris Bueller's Day Off uh, probably work for an ad agency 
and the, the, the big wig holding up the, the prints uh, works for the cosmetics company. And so they're trying to sell him on this advertising. And if he's unhappy, he could just be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go with someone else. Oh, I'll let bet. someone else do the ad. And then, you, you know, your firm's fired and they're going to fire you for losing the account. You're going to lose lots of money. So, and this was uh, the 80s where that's, that was kind of how it happens, was. You know, yeah. you know the, he's, he's, uh, he's a, um, a, you know, a John Hamm type from, uh, from Mad Men. Right. Trying to, trying to pitch, uh, you know, make the pitch here. So it, it's kind of a situation where, uh, where, yeah, he can't just leave. Although, uh, you know, if he wants to, you know, prove his dedication to to his family, prove that his family is more important than the job. Right. He would do that. Say, like, I'm sorry, my associate here, um, the dad from Ferris Bueller's Day Off can take over, but uh, I have to go. <laughs> That's um, right. I wish that was the exact which, line of dialogue. My associate here, the dad from Ferris Bueller's Day Off will take over. <laughs> well, I just – and I want to mention we, we refer to um, – uh, Lyman Ward is the actor. Uh, it's actually an uncredited part. He doesn't appear in in the credits mm. uh, of the film. But uh, as we said, he plays the dad in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, where he appeared with Jeffrey Jones. And uh, Jeffrey Jones was in Beetlejuice yeah. uh, with Michael Keaton, yeah. who uh, was Batman. Yeah. Also directed <laughs> by Tim Burton as well. That's, also directed. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's some connections. Mm. That, uh, the thing that is, I, I do wonder though because we'll, we'll come in across a big one when Steve Martin's out in the street. But you know, John Hughes likes to have little connective dots between his movies, and there's always, I think, wasn't there always a thing where like. I'm not too sure if it was the school from Ferris Bueller was supposed to be the same school from The Breakfast Club or it was something like that. I remember. Yeah. I did hear that also. That I, it, I wouldn't put so it past this, him to be like, this could be Ferris Bueller's dad. This might be I, the dad. I, I mean, I have, heard, I have heard that his movies are all, it's almost like it's the same universe. universe. Yeah. It, it was the Marvel Universe before the Marvel Universe. Let's yeah. just say that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, though, so I should also mention another um, another quick part. Uh, the, the client name is Brian. I assume that's a last name. We we catch it very quickly later on when when Neil's leaving. He said, "Oh, I I left my gloves in, in Bryant's office." I just want to say quickly, uh, Bryant is played by William Wyndham, um, who's who's done a lot of things. Uh, very long uh, resume on IMDb. In particular, there's a couple I pulled out. Uh, he, he was the president in Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Uh, great movie. There was uh, made another appearance with John Candy. Was in the movie Uncle Buck. Another great, great uh, John Candy appearance. Um, kind of on the uh, the nerdier side of things was Commodore Decker back in the Doomsday Machine episode of the original Star Trek series. Oh. Um, but probably uh, what most people would remember him for in addition to this movie, of course, would be Batman the Animated Series. On the episode Prophecy of Doom, he was the voice of Ethan Clarke. Oh. So uh, Batman always just that's right. Batman it all comes back Batman. to it. Always, always coming in. Yeah, totally. Um, lots, lots of connections here. And you know, <laughs> just quickly going back to what you said about it, forget about the gloves. You know, it, when Steve Martin basically says, ah, "I don't need them. I'm in the car. I'm in the <laughs> building." Uh, it's just great. Like I love those types of lines where you just know he's like, "Yeah, I'll be, I'll be home at in an hour." This is well, it, it's it's the scream like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's the yeah, it's uh the the foreshadowing. As soon as you say, "Oh, well, everything's great now," and right. then you say, "Oh no, you jinxed it." Uh, yeah, this is why I I pack the way I do, uh, the way I travel. You know, the, there's you know the, the travel experts or whatever the the bloggers that say, "Oh, I 
I, I go off on a two-week holiday and I, I, I just have a carry-on. You know, I have one backpack and it's got everything. And I'm like, no, I, I'm – I'm out for the afternoon right. and I've got luggage, you know, <laughs> Right. I, uh, because, you know, because these kind of things happen, I, uh, I'll have gloves and an extra pair, you know, what in my carry on and, and one in my, you know, one I'm checking uh, hats and, and scarves and, and extra everything because, uh, well, because of things like, like this movie happens. So, uh, I always, <laughs> I don't leave things behind. So you, you literally have like the, the Dell Griffiths giant yes. yeah. suitcase with the other I'm, right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm dragging the trunk around New York City, um, just like uh, our, our buddy Dad. Yeah. And when the father from Ferris Bueller, when he says "You'll never make the six, I love that line. I I think yeah. it's a it adds a little mysticism. I, it was in Home Alone too when that first night when mm-hmm. the power goes out. It's not really supernatural, but it, it's like a foreshadow of something's going uh, wrong here. Well, let's you know what I'm I'm you know. It's it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say let's jump around a little bit. Yeah. Um, we haven't been formally introduced to Dell yet, but so one of the things I'm I'm wondering, and one of the, the things that kind of struck me is you, you talk about the mysticism or mystical side, and certainly that's a very kind of ghost story. Ooh, you know, delivery of that line. <laughs> yes. Um, so one thing I thought is is Dell a person? Do you or think is, he... De- is is he Neil's guardian angel? Oh, that went a different way than I thought you were going to go. With. Yeah. Well, uh, it's not it's it's not a Fight Club situation because at the end he introduces him to his family and the other people see Dell, so we know Dell actually exists. Yeah. See, but know, oh, is, what my my thinking was though is like because I thought the the kind of bewitching way that the Ferris Bueller's dad says that it's like oh what if he was literally cursing. Neil, like he himself oh, was secretly uh, had yeah. powers. And he's like, "Oh, you arrogant fool!" I'm like, "You'll never make the six. And who knows that? Like, maybe Dell. We never see him and Ferris Bueller's dad together. Maybe this oh. is like a phantom face he's put on, uh-huh. and he's just come out specifically to derail him from uh, from hmm. getting home to the family. And then afterwards, he'll be like, "Damn it, he still he still got home." But it, <laughs> but he gets to work in like January. He's just like, "Oh, not January." So I keep thinking it's a Christmas movie. But when he gets to work in uh, after Thanksgiving, he'll just be like, "Right." That's actually one other question, though. Is like you guys will probably deal with it way at the end of the movie, but like, so this is getting to the house at Thanksgiving. Does he have right. to go back with Dell on the, on the way back to the back to work then, like in the aftermath, or is it like, oh, that's a whole other movie? Like, <laughs> yeah, after yes, all, yeah, like once he's yeah, like does Dell move in with him yeah, or is, like, or like, yeah, just, that's right. Uncle Buck. Dell just becomes right, Uncle right, Buck. right. <laughs> that's it. See, I, and I still read this as as upper class versus middle working class. That that's how I see Dell with Neil. Yeah, we certainly see that the, the differences the, the the way they dress, even when they're in their business attire. I mean, yeah. Neil's kind of a, kind of an asshole to a lot of people. Uh, yes. The flight attend the flight attendants, oh, yeah. and oh, uh, you know, he he argues about well, I, I paid for first class. I mean, once again, I mean, uh, first class is very expensive, as we all know. Well, uh, he's a little. Well, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. Say, that, that's the question I do have for a lot of people: is like, are the are the characters in this movie? actually like good people because De- for one like Dell's a nice guy but he's a complete tactless idiot as well and a lot of the things he is doing is like this is insanely obnoxious and thoughtless of you but at the same time like we see these three days with Neil where he's under an incredible amount of stress and we judge him to be like mm-hmm. oh this guy's a dick but if, you know he could just be in a bad situation where he's just very crotchety about it beyond this situation he could be like the most laid back 
easy, like nice, nice guy to everybody that we know. It just so happens that he's been foisted That's, into this situation where that like, is true. So that, that is a good point. Yeah, because he must have some level. You know, he has got like a nice wife and a family and stuff, and the kids seem cool. And it's like, yeah, maybe he's a good guy, but he just has. And he's to just. The situation has caused him to be like this. Yeah, because I, I can imagine, like, you know, I, I think I'm an okay person temper-wise. But, like, I, you know, in, in situations like this, I can imagine I'd be pretty grumpy, too, where you'd just be like, this guy keeps coming up and every single thing I do keeps going wrong. And by the time he actually gets to, you know, you, you know, again, don't want to tread on other people's days. But when he gets into oh, the, uh, the secretary from Ferris Bueller, where he's just like, you know, I want a fing card. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I think you're supposed to be like, oh, when she goes like, well, you're a fing again. It's like, yeah, take that, Steve Martin. But I'm like, oh, no, I totally, I don't know if I would actually say what he's saying, but I would be there. I would be at that level of stress. Yes, it does push him to the edge. I, I could see that. I could see it being pushed to the edge. Yeah, because a little bit earlier, we were kind of... Um hypothesizing about, uh, you know, Neil's desire to, or need to get home on time and that maybe he, he had a bad history and so was trying to prove that he had changed his ways. But when we show that the couple times he calls home, um, you know, his wife is, she's disappointed. She misses him. She wants him mm-hmm. home, but it's not like, oh, this is, this is just like last time. You'll never change. Like right. She isn't upset with him. She's upset at the situation that he isn't able to come home. So yeah, we really don't have an indication that Neil is, other than the the you know sort of obnoxious asshole watch he's wearing, but other than that, he seems like a you know a, just a guy who's a, a victim of the circumstance and, and doesn't handle stress as well. And uh, and and like you said, Dell, um, you know, I I think you know we're obviously supposed to sympathize with Dell. He's the kind of a guy he's he's sincere. He has a good heart, but he he does some genuinely. Um, yeah, obnoxious things, you know, the, the taking the shoes off of the airplane and, and, you know, I mean, there's there's some things he does that it's, oh, well, he's trying to do the right thing and it's just rubbing Neil the wrong way. But then some of the things are just like, no. But do you think, I, I, no, he never seems to push that. I mean, you, you, he never goes so obnoxious that we don't like Dell. Mm. Well, the, would you, the, the closest I come is actually, it's in this day at the very end when uh, they obviously have like, oh, you know, you want to take a shower no, oh, no, no, man, we, we want to go first and all that business. So then obviously we get the indication, though, that Neil takes the shower second because when he gets out, there's no towels. There's a tiny towel left. <laughs> yes. And Dell's stuff is all over everything. And at that point, that would be like, no, that's pretty unforgettable. If you're sharing a room with someone and you know that they're using the shower after you, don't leave your crap everywhere. Right. Don't leave your but socks see- soaking in the sink and all this business. It's like, no, you can't do that. That's... That 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 is that that would push me over the edge. Has been like, no, this guy is, despite and particularly too, just the fact he's kind of chain smoking around him and stuff, and he's probably stinking up his clothes. And mm-hmm. the, the thing, you know, he, he's just thoughtless. He doesn't seem to. That's it, weird because he, apparently he is very good with people, but he's not very good with Neil because he doesn't seem to really care <laughs> about what this guy's going through. He seems to be just so. No, I'm just going to do what I would normally do. Right. If he, well, as if he wasn't he, here. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. Well, he's not trying to sell something to Neil. So he's a great salesman and has people skills. But uh, when he's not on the sales, you know, when he's not closing, then. Uh, 
but that's what that's what I think this movie does so well. Because so Dell is obnoxious enough that it's earned like, that we never think Steve Martin is like completely overreacting. It's 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 a legitimate way to react. It seems earned. It seems real. Mm-hmm. And but he's not so obnoxious where it's like ah, oh, Dell is we don't even care about Dell anymore. <laughs> it's a balance. I mean, it's it's a balance, and the movie pulls it off. Yeah, this, this movie too does do that great thing that I, I love. You don't see it done so well in so many movies where it's. The escalation is fantastic. And the fact that it would start off at this opening, these opening scenes of like a guy chasing a taxi cab. It's like, that's believable. And then by the the fact, like an hour later, we're going to be watching these two guys like (laughs) driving their car between two giant lorries and stuff. And he's seeing visions of John Candy as the devil. And it's like they're driving around in a a car that physically probably couldn't be drivable anymore. And it's kind of like the Blues Brothers where it starts off like, yeah, this is kind of believable, I guess. And then by the end of it, you totally are sucked into the, yes, the Illinois Nazis are after them. And apparently the entire military are, are chasing these guys as well. And it's just like, <laughs> just I love a film that escalates so insanely, but you, it does it so seamlessly that you don't really realize how just how ridiculous it is until you look at it from like a step back and stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the, 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 the easing in of the situation. And like, uh, I don't, I, I haven't, I, one of the, the things that I, came in, in doing research. I hadn't heard the term before a plant in terms of planting, um, I guess, clues or planting seeds that then, you know, blossom later in the movie. Mm. And in this script, this movie is really good. I mean, it's, it's like the setups and payoffs. Yeah. Set, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm, that's the, that's the term I ref, I'm more familiar with okay. is the setup and, and, and payoff. But some of the research talked about it in terms of as a plant, but um, really in, in, in comedies, don't get a, a lot of respect. You don't see, you know, comedies aren't winning, um, you know, Oscars or BAFTAs for, uh, you know, best screenplay and, and uh, best movie and best picture and that sort of thing. And, um, mm. but we really see, uh, you know, so efficient the script. Everything pays off, you know, one way or another. And, uh, and John Candy is so good. The acting and, and the range because he does do, there's, there's instances where he is sort of there's slapstick, obnoxious, over-the-top stuff, whether he's, you know, waving his socks around, taking his shoes off on, on the airplane and, and stuff like that. Um, or there's, there's a scene uh, in, in a couple uh, a day or two from now where he's, uh, you know, trying to adjust the, the car seat um, and he's putting it up and back and back and up and, and, and moving it all over. And then, but then there's, there's the quieter, there's serious mm-hmm. moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, his eyes, his expression. So it's a really good so I'm, I'm going to use that to, to um, segue to uh, one of the questions we had that we kind of want to get our – well, we'll give our opinions, but also get your opinion, Niles. Our guest is um, kind of – you know, John Candy died very young. Um, he, he was born in 1950, passed in 94, so at, at 44. If he was still around today, he'd be, he'd be 68. Um, you know, what – what do we think he'd be doing? What kind of roles would he be playing? Where would he still be acting? Where's his, his career? And uh, just to kind of throw out some names to give you an idea of who other actors um, or people in show business who were born in 1950. We've got uh, Bill Murray, um, who we know, Ron Perlman, uh, Julie Waters, Morgan Fairchild, uh, Randy Quaid, um, also born in, uh, in, in 1950. So, you know, you see the turn, uh, for example, that Bill Murray made, someone who started strictly comedy um, doing kind of sketch stand-up stuff, uh, you know, in, in stripes and and meatballs and, and those kind of movies, and then uh, really developed it and kind of worked with well and did a lot of movies with um, 
the director of Groundhog Day. Oh, Harold Ramis. <laughs> Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis. Yeah. So I, I should know that. Yeah. Um, I'm. So yeah. So so Bill Murray, you know, you know, kind of did a lot of work with with Harold Ramis as a. Uh, well, Harold Ramis, uh, you know, did some acting too in front of the camera, but writing and directing, kind of like the way uh, John Candy did a lot of work with John Hughes. Mm. But uh, you know, Bill Murray has kind of become sort of a an elder state, statesman of sorts, where he does you know the kind of the West Anderson, um, you know, kind of more quirky comedy, less slapstick. But then he's also doing serious roles, yeah. you know, Lost in Translation and, and stuff like that. Do, do you see John Candy making that kind of transition? I, I for sure think that John Candy definitely could have because I, I would argue that he actually has a better range of acting than Bill Murray does because even when Bill Murray's doing different stuff he's still kind of doing the Bill Murray shtick he's just sort of aiming it in a different direction whereas like even within this movie like the actual serious moments again at the end of this day when you know Dell has this whole you know I like me my wife likes me and so you genuinely feel for the guy like it's it, it hits you hard right, yeah. it's not just a nice bit of synth music and stuff they have behind it as well but like so, uh, and then look at you know some of his other things, and the, the fact like yeah. um, so here he's playing like, a lovable goofball, but he's just like you know very overtly vivacious and friendly and stuff. And then you get him in like um, Brewster's Millions, where he's like Richard Pryor's best friend, but he's kind of a dick, like he's very aggressive and stuff. Like I find him very aggressive anyway. And then even something like Cool Runnings, which is like he's kind of like almost the straight man in that he's he's not doing the wacky comedy stuff because they're giving that over to the the bobsled guys uh and th- that movie and he has to deal with a lot of things about his past and stuff and there's you know he actually had the cool running's been a bit more of a serious movie they probably could just kept john candy and it would have been the same kind of thing because yeah. he could have delivered that performance as well so i i can yeah. imagine yeah i think you know he probably could have um transitioned well into you know, uh, more overtly serious parts. I would have liked to seen him do like a Robin Williams, where he was like playing serial killers yeah. and stuff. That would have been interesting to see. But I do, I do. I remember hearing quite recently that apparently he refused to lose weight because he he felt that it would hinder the roles he was getting because he had been typed as yeah, John Candy's a big fat guy, so you give him right. these parts. And that might have ended up sort of been, you know, a, a major factor in the fact that he just refused to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, tr- t- take care of himself. And it, much like I believe Freddie Mercury refused to get any surgery on his teeth because he's, you know, when he was rich enough, I was like you get your teeth fixed, and he's like, no, if I was to do that, I would be right. a completely different kind of performer and stuff. Um, so- I I can kind of see that. Well, I mean, I, I I hadn't heard that about Freddie Mercury. I wonder if he was worried because um, like teeth. Can it, you know, your mouth affects your voice. So I wonder if there was like a legitimate concern. It wasn't just, well, if I look different, oh, I th- I th- uh, you know, people might treat me different. Yeah, I think that was the, the thing is, is that, yeah, if I'm messing with my mouth, I might be able to yeah. project in the same way that I'm yeah, trained to do. I could see that. Yeah. And John Candy might have felt like, yeah, if I was to slim down, then I might be much like, um, you know, Jennifer Grey uh, from, you know, Dirty Dancing. She yeah, she dancing. had a very distinctive look and then she got a plastic surgery. And then afterwards, the roles dried up because she just sort of looked a bit generic and stuff. And people actually, apparently, I think she herself has said that, yeah, it was a big mistake because it turned out people were casting her because she had a, a kind of character about her face and stuff and then was put into certain types of roles. And it may have been that John Candy was also like, yes, if I, if I slim down, 
they might just be like, well, who's this? He's just he's just another yeah. He's a, like a Steve Martin, but he's not Steve Martin. Why why would we need this guy? We need a John Candy type when he's not a John Candy type anymore. He's a completely different person. Give it to John Goodman or someone. <laughs> right. But uh, but yeah, so I don't I don't know if that's actually like I've not I've I've just heard that I've not uh, I've not got a legitimate quote or anything to back that up. Yeah, I wonder because it's you know on, on one hand you could say well that's you know that's that's preposterous doesn't make any sense you're talented you're a great actor you're 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 great comedic acting um you know that that's not going to change you really need to look after your health but you know something like this you know casting for movies is so subjective yeah and it's yeah if you don't fit what they expect um you know he he may have been as good at what he does or even better but if no one will give you a job then Mm. then what what good is it i kind of think of uh, recently um uh, Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill. Uh, just think of a, a couple actors that at certain stages of their career were a little heavier and have lost weight and kind of changed their look. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I hope I hope it doesn't affect them uh, mm. negatively. Not that uh, you know they, they both seem competent at what they do, but they're not you know they're not John Candy like talents. But uh, you know, I think you'd have to put your health ab- above your work. But yeah, um, yeah, it's something in in in. Uh, you know, in show business where looks and appearance and expectation is such a big part of it. Um, it can, you know, we, we usually think of people trying to stay young and thin um, to kind of keep appearance, but uh, I guess it can go, yeah, it can go the other way. Yeah. yeah. Plus, plus too, you just have that sort of inner thing of like, within your own head, you will have your own anxiety. So my, no matter how many people are saying like, John, you're a very talented man. He could still be in his own head going, but they wouldn't like me if I was different. That's know? true. It's yeah. just like, uh, I think George Clooney said like, it's always the bad reviews that stick with you. So no matter how many people are saying, George, you're amazing. Everyone loves you. If one person is just like, yeah, that sucked. He's like, I'll remember that. But I won't remember right. the bad The bad ideas are the ones that burrow themselves into your mind rather than, yeah. the, you know, the, oh, I'll be fine. Like that kind of right. attitude. Yeah. I just I just want to mention quickly since uh, since now you mentioned Brewster's Millions, um, John Candy was in Brewster's Millions with uh, with Pat Hengel. Oh, that's right. Yeah, who, uh, yeah. was in Batman. Of so, course, uh, I remember <laughs> the uh, Brewster's Millions, Millions, the most abrupt ending to any movie ever. It's literally just yes. like, hey, I won credits. It's like what? what? Yes. There's no like, there's no epilogue or anything. It's like, no, we haven't yeah. got the time for that. Budget's out. We're out. we're done. That's right. <laughs> But uh, I guess we probably should talk about um, the kind of elephant in the room in terms of this car chase, though, because or the the, the chase for the taxi, because yes. we do get a, a pretty weird but huge cameo for consider the point of the '80s. This was where Neil is chase versus Kevin Bacon to get a taxi cab. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, so uh, you know, Kevin Bacon, who you know, strangely enough, talking about connections and everything. Um, Never been in a movie with anyone, apparently. He's not connected. <laughs> no, no, no. No one. But, uh, <laughs> I actually have, strategically enough, Sean, uh, it's, qu- it's quite weird that I got this particular day because I am, in fact, myself, a degree of Kevin Bacon through this scene. Uh, because Ooh. I was, at one point, about 12 years ago, I was in, um, as an extra, working on a British soap called Hollyoaks. And in Ooh, that, yes, I was in a scene, I fell off a, a bale of hay, uh, next to an actress called Jessica Fox. And so I was in a scene with her. She was in Muppet's Christmas Carol. She was the voice of oh. the Ghost of Christmas Past. So she's in that oh. with Michael Caine, who was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, 
with Steve Martin, Steve who's Martin. in this scene with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. So, so there you go. I through this through this film, this very scene, I am a degree of Kevin Bacon, apparently. Well, and then here we are on the podcast right, with right. you. So now, uh, the, so now, we, right? The, we are now. Yes, the, the, the movies by Menace community can now become a, a anyone who appears on you know any of <laughs> any projects you guys do, or anyone who appears on Batman is like you are now a degree of Kevin Bacon. I bestow this gift upon you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a, a connection, um, not not as glamorous as, as yours, uh, to, to Kevin Bacon, and I forget the exact chain, but uh, I believe it, it was it was six degrees when I was in high school. I was in the drama club and, and did plays and stuff. And uh, no one I was in a play with ever went anywhere, uh, show business-wise. But uh, the the year before I joined drama club, there was a, a gentleman, a uh, graduating senior by the name of, uh, I believe, the, if I remember correctly, Rob Rosenblatt. Um, so I was in some high school plays with people who were in plays with Rob Rosenblatt. Rob, after graduating, went off to uh, to Hollywood to seek fame and fortune. Um, and as far as I know, he only had one part, but that part was in uh, Crocodile Dundee. Oh, in 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 the the famous that's not a knife. Really, this is a knife. You know the big knife scene. Holy crap! He is um he's mugger number two. Ah, oh. so not not the mugger who's holding the knife, the smaller <laughs> knife, but the guy next to him. Um, was, was Rob. And then through, uh, there's a couple different connections. I forget the exact chain, but either through the male or female lead of that movie, there's a, there's a couple steps to, to Kevin Bacon. So if you, if you count, uh, you know, if you count high school theater, which it's, there's a stage, there's an audience and lights and, you know, it's performance. So I count it. Um, yeah, I believe I make it in in just under six or exactly six leaps oh, myself. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's all connected. The thing is, I would be bragging more just about knowing Mugger Number Two. <laughs> like, oh, forget the yeah. Kevin connection. <laughs> I know I was friends. I was in a thing with the guy who was <laughs> in that scene. I well, I, if, I, I think. Uh, th- I mean, the highlight for me uh, from that story is uh, the, the voice of Christmas Past from. Uh, yes, that's, from, uh, that is very uh, cool. The Muppets Vacation or Muppets uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do see. I'd good. Be, uh, I'd, Put that on my business card. Oh yeah, I think. Uh, but yeah, because the the soap she's in, we were both in, is atrocious. Yeah. So I do think she. <laughs> I think that even though she's been part of that show for like fifteen years now, she probably still is. It's like I'm also the ghosts of Christmas past and Muppets Christmas Carol. Because everyone, at least, <laughs> no matter where where you go in the world, everyone knows that. I go. I guess maybe the. Oh yeah. I might dub it in other territories, and then it's like, so yeah. uh, oh, you're from Saudi Arabia? Like, no, sorry, no, I'm not that voice of the ghosts of Christmas past. I'm the English one though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So interesting. Another another note on uh, on Kevin Bacon. So um, uh, Kevin Bacon around this time appeared in film. She's having a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, also written and directed by John Hughes, who uh, wrote and directed uh, this film. Um, and uh, so there's kind of there's some uh, supposition or a connect, you know, kind of connecting the world as we were talking about earlier that this may actually be. Kevin Bacon's character from that's right, I, and I have heard and that I, I also. It, I think it's it's just credited as what taxi racer or cab racer, right? Yeah, he yeah. doesn't even get a name. Um, but another little tidbit, uh, later on at uh, I've been marked as a 2150, um, into, into this day when it's, it's the first day, so into the movie, 21 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, we see it's after uh, after Neil has called home and, and woken up his wife to give her an update on his traveling status. There's kind of flip back and forth. They show her lying in bed and they show Neil lying in bed in the hotel with Dell. Um, at one point, she's watching TV and we don't see the picture, but we can hear it. It's uh, one of the scenes <laughs> from She's Having a Baby. 
Um, and I, you can recognize, or ah. if you listen closely, you can hear Kevin Bacon's voice. Um, well, it's interesting because uh, She's Having a Baby hadn't been released yet. It actually, this came out in, in 87. <laughs> she's Having a Baby was actually released the following year in 88. But uh, you can still hear uh, a scene from that movie that, that she's watching on TV. Neil's wife is watching. So that, 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 that would uh, support, though, the idea that maybe there's something supernatural going on. Yes. And that maybe, That's right. yeah, you're saying, Sean, you posited that it could be a guardian angel. It could be Ferris Bueller's warlock dad. But maybe he saw <laughs> she's having a baby in this universe. And he's like, I'm going to disguise myself as that character from that movie I watched last night. And I'm going to make sure that he doesn't get this action. <laughs> Yeah, good happen. <laughs> I'm just saying, good happen. <laughs> That's right. Um, I do actually like right. that. My, my mind immediately went to because I was like, is this not like immediately after Footloose? I'd be like, it would be great if it was his character from Footloose, and he just completely entered the rat race and like all that stuff that happened in that movie. is like, no, I don't dance anymore. I don't have anything to do with that. I just, but I, I can run pretty fast. That's about it. <laughs> and then it'd be like, because uh, that bit where there's, there's a guy who kind of cuts in front of uh, Neil. And he he's kind of doing a little hoppy dancing. Yeah, there there's there's that. I was yeah, I, I noticed that it's it, it's it's you know it's two people they walk to up to each other and one steps to his left, the other steps to his right, but that's the same direction since they're facing each other. Yeah, they go back and forth, but it's definitely a dance. It's not just no. It's yeah. yeah he's he's yeah. jumping back. I wasn't and able forth. to find a, a credit for who that is. I'm assuming it's someone who who is like a. Maybe they found like a, a break dancer on the street. And they're like, "You come here, right. dance in front of this guy. Pretend you're block- trying to get around him." Uh, <laughs> or it um, turns but, out uh, that like, not only is this in the same universe as Ferris Bueller and she's having a baby, but it's also in the same universe as Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> that's, that's one right. of the guys from that. <laughs> that's oh, right. that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So Footloose came out in '84. Um, so if Kevin Bacon, maybe he's a high school senior, this yeah, is this three kid, years later. That he's he's in New York trying to make it say, on uh, Broadway. You know, yeah, there you go. He, he goes, yeah, goes to New York trying to make it a Broadway and, uh, you know, gets, gets just a J job to pay the bills till the show business thing comes in. Then he gets sucked in. Exactly. And he becomes a, you know, a high powered taxi stealer. Mm. It's just before all those, <laughs> all those boxes appear, he's about to go into that, like run dance he does during the footloose number where he's about to start like backflipping <laughs> and stuff. And he's like, Oh damn it. The boxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh that, so that's it. from now on. That's my head cannon now. From every time I watch the, this movie again, from now on, when Kevin Bacon is chasing the taxi, he's uh, he's doing that run dance. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's like, this usually works great if you're in a, a giant barn, but apparently in the streets of New York, get you nowhere. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, there's actually a, there's another dancing tie-in uh, later day. Um, the the stunt double for Jennifer Beals from uh, Flashdance appears later in the movie but uh, i'm not going to tell you when a oh. uh, listener so you'll have to uh, right. stick around for uh i'm not sure if it's tomorrow or the next day but uh you know it's a like little tease it's john there john candy john candy was the body <laughs> double for <laughs> jennifer Beals. that's right <laughs> well we, we did say he was a very versatile performer yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll just, a lot of range a lot of a lot of range a lot of range now we're there at the airport at- yeah so we're just going to jump ahead a little bit just to, to keep us moving so eventually um, we, we see Neil get off a bus. I don't think he ever actually catches a cab. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, he, he, he offers to buy a taxi from, from, from someone who bids him up to $75 and again, showing money's no object. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to spend $7,500 just to get the taxi. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, crazy. But, uh, and particularly, too, um, I really hate that guy, especially <laughs> because he's like, oh. he's an attorney. But it, what's the, the number they arrive at? It's like, 
75 or 100 or something? Yeah. Uh, something, yeah. 75, 75 Just to get the cab. Just and to get the cab. And then he's going to have to pay the, the tax. Well, it's the fact then, though, because he's just like, oh, you know, have a good have a good Thanksgiving. And the guy's just like, well, this will help. And it's like, it's like, like $75 to this guy would be like a drop in the bucket. But he's just like, it's almost as if like, I just enjoy the fact that I've built you out of a taxi. So this has improved right. my day already. <laughs> Yeah. Well, again, eighties and lawyers; those jokes were running rampant back then. Yeah. So, well, so he, this is probably a guy. He probably, you know, he makes a quarter of a million dollars a year, but he has to work for it. Yeah. Versus, he didn't really do anything, but he got, you know, like money stolen is sweeter than money earned. Right. Um, to this guy, I mean, me, I would never yeah. uh, take anything. I, I work very hard for for everything. I, I will say too, because if, <laughs> if you want, if you want to leap onto the airport, John, I don't want to hold you up, but. There is one thing, like, just in going back to what you, you oh, were saying. Please do. Uh, you're saying it's about, like, foreshadowing stuff. You guys, you know what shows you the taxi pulls away and you see a puddle? Oh, is that, yes. yes. That's a shower curtain ring in the puddle, isn't it? That's an indication yeah, yeah. of who who is to come and who has just stolen this taxi. Because either a shower curtain ring or it's a giant condom. We'll be just, you know, we'll just have to take it under the assumption that it's a shower curtain <laughs> ring. Right. I mean, he does trip right over his, his trunk. Yeah, he, so he trips over You have trunk. that. And yeah, so that's my my research has indicated the the, the consensus out there is that yeah, it's, it's not. My first thought is yeah, it could be a, a something else. Yeah. But the consensus <laughs> seems to be that yeah, it's it's a shower curtain ring. Yeah. In that puddle after the the taxi pulls away. So again, another one of those foreshadowing a plant a setup. It, 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 will, you're you're saying though, Odell's he's not a Tyler Durden character, but this is kind of like the start of Fight Club when you keep seeing little yeah. snippets of Tyler Durden <laughs> everywhere before he shows yeah. up. Yeah. And they meet yeah. in an airport as well, or they're on an airplane in Fight Club. So that's like, oh, good man. Yeah. You never know. Maybe yeah. the family at the end's just like just you know just to pretend to your dad that all his all right. his, his friends that yeah. he brings home, quote unquote, are real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bri- Bri- yeah Bri- Brian and I were, were talking a little bit earlier today about the movie and, and, and got to talking how there's there's parallels. Um, that the movies, this is a lot like The Sixth Sense. <laughs> that there's a you know there's flash there's a twist right. at the end and there's flashbacks well, putting the pieces together, but um, but now I'm seeing, yeah, Fight Club is as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so they get to uh, the so, airport. So we get to the airport, and he's uh, and, and Neil is sitting down, and he's seated across from a uh, yeah, kind of a, a haggard-looking, slightly overweight character reading uh, the Canadian Mountain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe not the quite you know something you should be uh, holding up in public. It seems to be a bit of an off-color uh, publication. There. <laughs> That's the thing. Do you think it's the, the that that title though? Is it's describing the Canadian? A, a Canadian has mounted something, or is it something that's mounted a Canadian? Which which do you are you just like oh it can go? That's the beauty of the title is it can go either way. Yes, because it can be a, it's. Yeah, it can be transitive or intransitive. Yeah. The, the, the I word, presume, I, it's a Canadian or. that's getting mounted. Mm. You think the Canadian yes. is getting mounted? Yeah. Huh? You think, it's, yeah, you think it's going to be dead sexy, but that Canadian they're talking about is actually Mike Myers. So it's going <laughs> to <laughs> strains it out of it, right? So, oh, as soon as you picture that. He's, yeah, it's, yeah Mike, Mike Myers in the fat bastard suit. <laughs> right. uh, not, not the best Mike Myers. Yeah. But, uh, so, hey, interesting. I, I wanted to mention this uh, a tidbit, just uh, that uh, the, this. Uh, this paperback makes a, another appearance in Deadpool Two. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a there's a scene of of Wade kind of recuperating or resting at the X Mansion, and he's reading the Canadian Mountain. Oh, as very well. interesting. And they're uh, they're both Canadian, Ryan Reynolds and John Candy, both from uh, for uh, for for us in the in the states. It's our neighbor to the north. For the folks across the pond, it's the uh, 
the country back across the map. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, that, that's the thing, though. I'd love to get be able to get like a fake paperback of the Canadian Mounted and just like leave it lying on my coffee table or something. Yeah, but it's such a <laughs> conversation piece. Yeah, but it's such a niche joke that's like a lot of people are going to be like, "Is this just a porn novel you've just left lying? You're just leaving pornography lying around your living room?" <laughs> but it'll be it'll be worth it for the yes, for the person it, that yeah. gets it. Yeah, I did a little research just to see if like at, at the time the movie was made, this was you know just a, a fake book made up for the the movie. I was wondering, you know, has has someone come out with this? Is this an actual thing you can buy? Um, there, I didn't find a book. I did find there's a movie oh. uh, called the the Canadian Mounted. Huh. Um, I did not watch it to figure. So I don't know if in that is the Canadian doing the mounting or is the Canadian <laughs> who gets mounted. I I, um, <laughs> I didn't actually watch the movie because do, uh, uh, it was. Uh, yeah. I, I enjoy the, the the mental image though of like you sitting perched at the end of the, your chair with a like a notepad and paper watching the entirety of the Canadian mounted yeah, yeah. and That's then right. writing can... nothing <laughs> in the past. Yeah, right, circling nothing. Circling nothing. <laughs> it's like no no connection between yeah. these things. Just yeah yeah <laughs> having like, having my my wife come in and be it's for the podcast it's for the podcast. <laughs> I um I I will say if if any of the listeners or, or Niall yourself if if you're tempted to uh, to search for this movie the Canadian Mounted I will say um it is um as we say not safe for work no. um so do this on a uh, someone else's computer preferably <laughs> um but it's uh, starring uh, and I put uh, I doing the finger quotes starring uh Brookhaven and Rocco Reed mm. um and uh I think uh. Well, someone's getting mounted. No, no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, so yeah, so we are at the airport, and uh, and I just want to say with this oh. scene, what what they do great again with the filmmaking is they actually recreate the taxi. I, I mean, how many movies would just cut back to the scene mm-hmm. where here they actually recreate, uh, you know, holding up the taxi um, door. That is, I mean, you you don't see that. I mean, it would just be a cutback. Oh well, yeah. I have a note about that. The, the flashback where Neil's trying. You know, he sees this guy. Where do I know that face from? And of course, you know, because Dell stole the taxi. Neil ran after him. He caught up to him at a light, and you know, he saw he saw um, you know, he saw Dell through the the window of the taxi. So when he gets the flashback, he sees the taxi door around Dell's face. Right. But if you notice in the background. It's still the airport background. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. They recreated this. They, yeah. they a lot of movies. They would just show the previous scene. Right. They're actually recreating it here. Oh, yeah, recreation, not just a cut. Yeah. 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 Let me see. What I think about maybe it was like a. There probably was a discussion though, and they thought like this is maybe we're walking people a little too much through it to be like. So here's a flashback to a scene you just saw, but they're like, right. maybe, the, just in case people don't get it. We'll do it in a funnier way or something. We're like, right, that's true. And they're just like, oh, if you have the window, and it's him literally going like, oh, like in a very exaggerated way. That that is like it is funnier. Is, is the thing is like I always laugh when I see that because it's just so weird the, the actual visual of it. <laughs> but, I have to say though, uh, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I am a fan of the Dell Griffith wardrobe. I I really like his fashion sense. I know it's you're not supposed to. But like, I, I, if I met this guy, I'd be like, "Yeah, these are nice duds." I like, I like his. He, he, yeah. He's dedicated to the bow tie, like, the, you know, and, and even too when you see him later on, his pajamas. It's like, yeah, those are pretty cool pajamas. I would, I would wear those. They are. That's true. Yeah, he's stylish guy. Well, I like the. So what we're seeing here, that the it's the it's a well, three piece suit. He does have um, a waist coast or vest, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's you know sort of a, a brown suit with a yellow a yellow shirt, brown tie, and it, but it, it, you know he's not he's not going crazy. It's not like oh it's a striped you know striped suit with polka dot tie. Like he's not he's not getting crazy with it. But uh, yeah, he's, he's put together. Mm. It's just, he's, a, mm-hmm. he's a good gentleman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the the hat. The kind of I don't know if there's a name for that type of of cap that he's wearing. That's a but you know it's not. So it's not quite a flat cap, is it? Because it's not flat, and it's and it's not really a kangol, I guess. But it, yeah, well, it doesn't really have much of a brim, or at least the the hat, the top of the hat extends to yeah. the brim in front. I don't. It's, yeah, I it's don't actually it's pretty that. much near identical to the hats that my both my granddad and my dad used to wear, <laughs> which my yeah. dad doesn't wear it anymore. But when my granddad was still was still around. The two of them had the same, basically the same hat. It was kind of, at the time when I was a kid, I didn't question it. I'm only kind of realizing now as I'm saying it, like, that was actually really weird. Why did they do that? I'll have to ask him the next time I see him. But yeah, there was pretty much this, maybe it was a thing from the 80s. It's like, yeah, this was a hat we had back then. And then they just died out in the 90s at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would I would wear a hat like that. I think these days, if you're wearing, you know, if you see someone, uh, with a hat with a brim, like a fedora or trilby or that kind of thing, it's it's very pretentious unless you're, um, you know, otherwise, you know, if you're, if you're not otherwise dressed up like you're from the 40s, to wear mm-hmm. that kind of hat these days mm-hmm. doesn't work. And I know there, there was a period, at least here in uh, in the Northeast, there was like the urban cowboy look where people were, were wearing cowboy hats. And it's like, you're, you yeah. know, it's, this is New York or it's New Jersey, you're an accountant, you work in an office, like you don't, you, you shouldn't, just shouldn't. Right. And, uh, I think the shape of my head, I know like, so most hats these days, at least in the States, it's baseball caps mm-hmm. is, is, you know, it's, it's hard to find a hat that's not a baseball cap. And I, I don't think, I just don't think it flatters the, my head and my face. Mm. So, uh, oh. yeah, this kind of hat that, that John Candy's wearing here, uh, I would wear that hat. Yeah. I think I would look it up. Yeah, I could see you pulling that hat off. Right. See, I'm, I actually am the type um, because, like, I had a thing when I was a teenager. I used to have because I was a big fan of Smith, so I used to have like a big quiff and stuff. But my my, my hair receded <laughs> like very in my early twenties. Actually, about ten years ago now. And um, so I was like, eventually, I was like, no, I have to shave all this off. It just looks ridiculous. I was getting to look oh, like Jack Nicholson yeah. pretty much, or even oh, or even yeah. Bill Murray. And I was like, it might look all right for those guys, but that's when they were like the 30s and 40s. It's like, <laughs> when you're 21, it's not a good look. So, but then because I always kind of dressed a little bit different, I was like, I feel a bit boring just have the, having the bald head. So I've started wearing what's ostensibly, not fedoras, but trilbies. And I was like, ah, it's, it's kind of just become part of my look. But it's like, it's become very distressing in recent years because those hats have become affiliated with uh, like an online subculture of basically just sexists who are those kind of like my lady tip in the hat business and uh, mm-hmm. for some reason they always refer to as fedoras but people are always talking about trilbies because they don't look to see what the exact difference between those hats is so now I'm having to, I'm having to currently weather the storm of wearing those hats have been like a couple <laughs> of years that'll, that trend will die out and I'll be fine again <laughs> You'll be fine, but again. it's just like oh, well, here's hoping because <laughs> I'm refused to change. I'm not I'm like you know those guys are the dicks. I'm not gonna. It's like that's right. It's like the Michael Bolton guy in Office Space is like, well, he's the asshole. Why would I change? <laughs> yeah, why, why that's not? right. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. We know it was. Um, you were there first. Yeah, it's all the It's just very much just like no, oh, I'm, I'm going to stick this out no matter what happens. <laughs> and you know, just to get back to this airplane, this. Uh... <laughs> The airline scene. Yeah. I, I do like the fact that when they get onto the plane, uh, it's Steve Martin is arguing about first class, yeah. uh, which again shows shows what we always say about his wealth. But uh, he's sitting back right 
next to John Candy, but I like the fact that they actually call out the coincidence. A lot of movies, you just, you just, you just go through it and it's, I mean, it's a pretty big coincidence. One, that he actually ran into him in an airport mm-hmm. and two, now he's sitting right next yeah. to him. But it's, but the fact that they call it out, I feel it, it, it lends it more credibility, I think. Mm. They say, oh, what a coincidence. You know, you're sitting right next to me. <laughs> Where if they didn't say anything, I don't know. I would start to say, okay, it's a little contrived here. Like, yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Certainly there are a lot of things in movies that are, um, and it, depending on the setup, yeah. I mean, well, you need to have a setup. There needs Wait, to be. You need to have and, something. And, and, knowledge, and knowledge. I understand that, right. This is unusual. Something crazy is happening. You see that a lot of times, yeah, crazy situations, and they just kind of. And it just kind of happens. Kinda, There's no. But here, at least they call it out and they say, oh, what a coincidence. This is, this is, this is unusual. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so then, uh, yeah, uh, so, so Steve Martin's Nell, Neil, takes his seat next to, uh, Del Griffith here on the plane, and then we find out we learn we learn Del's name. Um, actually, make an introduction here, um, and I just want to call it. So then, uh, Neil is in the middle, Del is on the aisle. The window seat is um, uh, I don't know if we ever get a name, but uh, it's a gentleman uh, by the name of Bill Irwin, who's a old timey actor, been in, in, in a, a million different things. He's in Home Alone. Hmm? He's in Home Alone. Yeah, also, he's, he's in Home Alone. Um, he was also in. Uh, well, he's in a bunch of things. Well, he's in. Uh, She's having a baby with uh, with Alec Baldwin, who was in uh, Beetlejuice. Was also in uh, Chairman of the Board in 1998 with uh, Glenn Shaddix, yeah. who was also in Beetlejuice um, and, and also appearing in Beetlejuice. Michael Keaton, <laughs> a certain Michael Keaton who played a certain Batman. <laughs> um, it's all connected. Yeah, well, that was a, yeah, yeah. He was also in uh, Inferno. In 1999, with uh, Vincent Scavelli. Oh, and, I don't know if that's pronouncing it right, but uh, who was in uh, Batman Returns yeah. with uh, Michael Keaton, yeah, yeah. who uh, was in Batman. I think we've so like, uh, on, the, on the show we've had like a field day with the Vincent Scavelli stuff because it's just like this guy's <laughs> been in everything, <laughs> so yeah. you can't get away from the guy. But um, yeah, I, I have a fit. Was this guy was he in Seinfeld as well? For some reason, I associate him with Seinfeld, but I'm not too sure I, what role he played. I think he, I think he might have been. Now that you mentioned it, I feel like I I'm seeing it yeah. now. He's he's got that kind of look. Let's uh, we'll, we'll check. It's just like one of those things, though, because in any of those long running sitcoms, it's like if if you yep, were yeah, if you were like a, a working actress in your 20s or 30s in in the 90s, you were yeah. probably Jerry or George's girlfriend at some point because everybody yeah. was. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. So to, a quick search, yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, Irwin was in uh, two episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, Played Sid, S I D Sid. Um, but it's funny as you mentioned, I was I, I have a, a note. The uh, the stewardess that Neil is arguing with, Diana Castle, was in uh, two different episodes. Oh, uh, of Seinfeld and, and in X Files. Oh, yeah. so, I do remember her. I remember her in Seinfeld because she's the mother of the kid who tears tears up Jerry's tape at one point. He's got like a comedy tape that he's made, and like yeah, the <laughs> yeah. kid makes it up and he just starts roaring at the kid and loads of swear words, and he has to like teach the kid not to swear and stuff. It's one of those that if you try to explain any plot point of an episode of Seinfeld <laughs> by itself, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to describe the no. entirety of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it works in context. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say though that this business with uh, Dell taking off the shoes. I, I know a guy who does this. Like, and the thing is, I am 
again, maybe I'm predisposed to be on Neil's side because, like, I would react the same way. Where and I have reacted the same way of just I, sitting. And this is a guy who take take his shoes off, shoes and socks off anywhere. Like he'll take them off in the cinema. Mm-hmm. He'll just no matter where you are, as soon as he gets his feet up, he's like, "Yep, the shoes are coming off." And I, was like, I don't understand this, dude. Yeah, yeah. I I I I will do it if it's a longer flight. But I feel very self conscious. I make sure I keep my feet. Either, you know, I, I try to stick them under the seat in front of me. So I don't want anyone to see. I certainly don't take my socks off. And I certainly make sure I have socks. There's no holes in the toes or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, and if I if I even imagine the whiff of any sort of scent, then I will instantly put my shoes back on. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, Dell is he's letting it all hang out. That's right. He's taking the socks off. He's waving them around. Um, one thing we see, we were talking a little bit about his, his dress. We see when he's taking off the socks, we can see a cuff. Um, on the on the end of the pant there, um, which I guess maybe maybe back then was in these days. Uh, I don't do a cuff. I don't no do a cuff on the, the pant leg. See, I, the, how about you, Nile? What do you, you cuff? No cuff. I see this because I'm usually uh, when I go in, when I have to go out shopping for clothes myself, I just want to get it over with as fast as possible. So a lot of the time, <laughs> I'll just be like, "This is the right waist size," and I'll ninety percent of the time forget to check the length. So usually I will end up having to roll up the bottom of the trousers that I wear and stuff, and um, yeah, I'm, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm pro I'm pro cuff. I'm uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm again I'm I'm a supporter of all of Dell's fashion, quite frankly. Like, yes. So I, 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 <laughs> whatever, whatever. This guy, if nothing else, he knows what he's wearing. Like he's yeah. he's he's got that going for him at least. Uh, Adele is very resourceful. I mean, Adele is the one that gets them through a lot of this. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, Adele is the, the you know the road warrior. This is a guy who right. who travels a lot, so he knows how how it works. The airlines, the hotels, the the whole. The, he's got the system. Mm. Um, Again, though, that's yeah. it's an indication, though, of the fact that like you know when after they get off the plane. Um, because he's just like, oh well, you know, we we got off. You called home. I called the inn. And that that in itself is an indication. Of like, why isn't he calling home? Does he not have someone mm-hmm. he needs to call to let them know he's going to be delayed? And it's like, yeah, that's true. Pepper, it's, it's just it's just seasoning the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, this guy seems to be yep. able to get to these things quick because he's got nothing else to do. Because he is literally that's right. Got no one he needs to get in touch with. All right. Well, that's that's a great segue to a, another question that we'll we'll be asking. Um, throughout the, the days of this movie is there's, you know, so there's, there's a, a twist at the end, uh, sort of, I guess we, we've given it away a bit, uh, with, uh, you know, references to, um, to the sixth sense. But so when, when you saw the movie, uh, Niall, if you can remember way back when, um, did you see that twist coming? Did you predict it? Was it, did you even think that's a twist? Were you like, oh, of course I knew it all the time? Or, or I actually do remember when I was a kid seeing this and actually being like, oh, Oh, that does make sense. Like that's it. It it did work as a twist. It's actually kind of a weird ending too, because it's like the, the last shot is of Dell, isn't it? Again, now we are just jumping right to the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it is. Yeah, that last shot is interesting. I mean, it clearly it's it's almost as if really Dell is the main character of it from. If you go by the last from shot. From a certain point yeah. of view. Well, from a certain point of view, <laughs> but yes. that, That's a really melancholic note then, because I think you're supposed to be like, oh, isn't it nice? And look, he's been taken in by this guy he's met. But at the same time, it's like, well, this isn't going to last forever. His wife is still dead. And he's after this, it's going to be like, well, I'll see you, Del. Like, and he's just going to – and basically what he's doing is just watching a family reunited and him having to stand and grin and be like, yep, this is something I had, but – don't have it anymore. It's like it's actually very melancholy to to end on that note. Like, but 
It, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of strange because, I, you know, initially you're like, oh, isn't this nice? It's my new friend and his family and they're together for the holidays and his kids and, and, and parents. And isn't this lovely? And then, yeah, then the realization is going to be, well, the, now I'm just I'm looking at all the things I don't have. Yeah. And, and thanks for thanks for rubbing it in my face, mm. Neil. Thanks a that, lot for everything I've done for you. You're just uh, or this could become his new family. I mean, uh, yes, Neil is taking him in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a feeling. No, I have a feeling. It's it's Neil seems like you know he you know right now he's you know he 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 feels bad. He know he you know he erupted. He yelled it at, at Dell a couple times, and Dell was just trying to you know do his best. So so Neil feels bad. He's he's bringing them together, but then uh, you know the next morning. So maybe, you know, maybe, you know, Dell, Dell stays for dinner and then it's, oh, it's late. There's no trains running. You might as well, here, we'll make up the guest room for you or we'll, we'll put a pillow on the couch. But then uh, he wakes up the next morning and Dell's still there. And he's like, uh, all right, the, uh, the, the, the thought heart, it's frozen again. Yeah. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. It's, and, it, uh, it, it, it's one of those things like this could, that could have been, you know, thank God they never made a sequel because they could have probably could have just ruined it. But that would have been a natural yeah. way of like. What if Devil just sticks around and that there there's your movie right there, just getting rid of this guy? It would kind of undo all the work, the good work of this movie, I think, really. And yeah, but uh, the thing I also think as well is that the problem with Dell is that he is completely thoughtless. I don't think at the end of the movie he's changed mm-hmm. at all. Like Neil's the one who has the arc, who's like, yes, I have realized I've been intolerant towards this person, and I needed to be more patient with him. But I don't think right. Dell's going to be like. Maybe I shouldn't just sit and smoke at the dinner table, and maybe I should. Maybe I should ask if this is okay to do this and stuff. I, I think he'll be. He'll probably end up driving Neil's wife crazy because he'll just be taking his, sho- his shoes and socks off while they're eating yeah. the turkey and stuff. And <laughs> it's going to be like, why have you brought this man home? Like, what? Why he's right. he's very 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 annoying. And Neil will be like, I'm sorry. And then eventually, it could just be like. They'll end up getting kind of frozen out as just like, yes, you need to leave now, <laughs> Dell. And yeah. but maybe this snaps Dell out. Maybe maybe this snaps Dell back into okay. I'm going to move on finally now. I mean, he was kind of drifting for these years, mm. and maybe maybe he's like, okay, I've grieved. I, I'm on the road. I'm going to settle back down and and figure my life yeah, back yeah. out. The, the, the one thing I would be curious about is actually getting the story. From Dell's side, because actually at the end of this day, we it's the, our only indication of almost into his mindset where he's saying to Neil, like, um, when they're having the first big argument, and he's just like, you know, I even let you pay for it so you wouldn't feel like an intruder, which you most certainly are. And it's like, right. at no point did you think that, like, oh, this this is actually bugging him that Neil's here. He's he's masked this very well, the fact that he's actually very annoyed that this guy's still around and stuff. And uh, actually, I'm kind of curious as to, like, what is going on in his head? Because he just has this constantly perky veneer of, like, yay, you know, uh, that's it. Bah, bah, bah. And I do wonder if it, it, internally, is there a lot more of a, a, a genuine, you know, the fact that he's, you find out later on, he's noted that Neil messes around with his balls a lot and stuff. Is he, is he <laughs> while he's chatting and been friendly, is he internally been like, what the hell is it? What the fuck's this guy up to? Like, why, why is yeah. why is he so grumpy all the time? And like, he's actually well, got a whole other story going on inside. Yeah, so so the perspective, we certainly see the way that Dell is annoying and kind of getting on the nerves of Neil, which makes why I think Neil's the, the main character. And and I, I like the point that, yeah, we don't see the growth and the change in Dell as much as we see Neil. Well, I just want to say, I mean, the whole movie is from uh, Neil's point of view. We we right. don't, I mean, we everything yeah. Neil sees, we see. We we have no information that Neil does not have. 
So it, it, you never see anything. We never know right. more than Neil. It's yeah. all from his perspective. But yeah, I like that. I like the point. I hadn't really considered it. But when you think about, yeah, so this is, it's, yeah, Dell arranges for the hotel. Dell finds out about the train. Dell, you know, Dell gets the ride from the, the yeah. hotel manager's son that, you know, to, you know, give them the ride to the train. He, he, you know, takes care of all these things. And then here's this, you know. This this a hole businessman who I just met, who's uh, really? you know, somehow thinks I owe him because I jumped into a taxi that was just sitting there. Mm. Right. Um, you know, Del, Del didn't know that he was taking yeah. a taxi from someone, so he thinks he's he's innocent. Mm. Um, I mean, I think we need to jump to the to the intensity of the final moments of this day. Because mm. yeah, I, that, uh, that is a point as well. Like we don't. I'm actually next time I watch the whole movie, I'll have to take note of. How often is Dell specifically coming over to talk to Neil? Because you know, they coincidentally bump into each other. They're sat across from each other in the airport. And then on the plane, Neil is sat next to Dell. Dell's already sat down. So he's like, oh, this is this guy. I guess I better be nice to him. And then Neil's just not reciprocating this at all. <laughs> and then uh, afterwards, it could be like, yeah, there's that guy again. And he's just kind of idling past. It's like, oh, hey, so how, how are you getting on and stuff? And it's sort of, you know, at what point... Is, is there at any point where we specifically see Dell just seems to be clinging to Neil, or is it always like they're always coincidentally popping into each other? Because you know, later on when the train breaks down and stuff, it's Neil goes up to him because he sees him trying to carry the truck that's, and stuff. And, yeah, that's the first big break I, th- I I feel from Neil at that point. Well, that's a flip because so when they're in the airport in in Wichita after um, you know Neil's trying to call around trying to find a hotel, it's Dell who goes up to Neil and says. Oh, you didn't find a room, did you? Well, while we, while you were calling, when you called your wife, I was calling the the Braidwood Inn and that kind of stuff. So, the yeah, the first couple of times it is Dell. There are at least a few instances where Dell walks up to Neil, but then at some point it flips where it's like, you know, Dell Dell seems to tolerate you. He'll he'll happy to have you, but you know, he isn't. You're the one following him. Yeah. around. he's not following you necessarily. You could always say, you know, when the, um, you know, going all the way to when they're in, um, you know the the last day mm. when uh, you know they're, they're just a few hours away from Chicago and uh, you know Dell's managed to hitch a ride with with the, the lorry there. You don't have to get it, Neil. You could be like, go ahead without. Yeah, me. yeah. Um, I do have to wonder as well, though, just a lot about like just everything about Dell, though, because for one thing, is like, how in the name of God do you make your living as a shower curtain ring <laughs> salesman? That is not a thing anyone has ever done. <laughs> it seems right. – I'm assuming he's freelance as well. And then it's also like, <laughs> where is he going? Because he's just idling around. Like Neil's got a destination. Dell's just sort of – he's just where, – where is he off to? Like he's just sort of like, yeah, just just ride the rails, just fly around yeah, and stuff and see – Keep on keeping Yeah, Hawk might – you know, hasn't been home in years. It's like I can't understand. that. All that stuff would indicate more to me that there is something – supernatural about him because it's like well, yeah, well who lives like this who is literally like yeah i've got enough money to I'm not, I'm not a rich person but i've got enough money to keep myself going in flights and hotels and you know he obviously um he always seems to you know have everything he needs to hand and stuff so it's like yeah just i don't understand Dell the character and i think maybe that's you know you're not supposed to maybe that's why they can give him so many weird quirks is because you don't really get an insight into uh, you know his actual day to day workings and stuff. You just sort of have to accept what you're what you're given. But yeah, yeah and I think that 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 kind of led me to to my thinking of like you know D- 
Dell's kind of a guardian angel sent to, to help Neil out because he um, he's not quite a caricature. I mean, I think he is a fleshed out full character, mm. but he, like not, I don't know, inhuman maybe isn't the right word. But yeah, he's he's very odd, but that could just be a result. You could always explain that, I think, of saying, well, he travels alone so much. He spends so much time in in strange places, in airports and hotels and, and waiting rooms and lobbies and stuff, and, you know, where he's really on his own or just kind of making chit chat with strangers that, um, you know, that has sort of changed his personality, that he doesn't know what it's like to be home or, or you know, have a family member that you're, mm-hmm. you're relating to the same person on a regular basis. It's just kind of changed his personality where he, you know, he gets into a hotel room and just you know, instantly explodes and takes over the whole room and uses all the, the towels. Mm. Well, that, that actually is a fair point. Yeah. That it is, I hadn't considered that, that yeah, it, it, it is the, was it eight years or something supposed to be on the road by himself? So it's like, yeah, that probably, yeah. yeah. It's eight, eight years since, uh, Marie. Is that mm. Marie, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it actually does kind of make sense. And yeah, the, 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 well, maybe, maybe, maybe I myself am reaching a Neil sort of turnaround where I'm like, maybe I've been too hard and Dell. You know, this whole podcast. <laughs> it's like, no, no, wait a minute. No, actually, yeah, maybe just he's he's inconsiderate because he just hasn't had to be considerate for so long. But yeah, right. Maybe, maybe I've been too hard on John. Yeah. This whole <laughs> right. um, oh, so something else. I know we're we're, we're running. Uh, we're getting kind of towards the end. We don't want to take up too too much of your time. Uh. Um, but one thing I was wondering, since I this is. Uh, I think the greatest Thanksgiving movie ever made, um, and it really centers around uh, you know this gentleman trying to get home to his family for the holiday. But uh, so this is uh, you know the American United Statesian Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, you know, kind of what's what's your opinion? I know some parts of of sort of this Western Hemisphere cult- culture has made its way over to uh, you know jolly old England, and uh, well, you actually you're, you're Irish, not English. I don't want to make yeah. that mistake. But uh, so you know. What do you know? What are your impressions? When I say Thanksgiving, does it mean anything to you? Or you're just like, eh, that's crazy. Well, I, I'm well aware of the holiday only because of its permeating American culture so much that you can't help but just know what Thanksgiving is. Uh, I do always remember when I was a kid, been a little bit kind of like, not weirded out by it, but just not really kind of getting, uh, for some reason, uh, what distinctly always comes to mind is like the Rugrats thanksgiving special where like all (laughs) at the end all the babies are all so proud to be american and was very very patriotic and stuff i don't know if it's where because of like the the, where i you know grew up and that like i'm not you know not unproud to be irish or anything but i don't feel this intense patriotic pride that seems to come with a lot of american media and thanksgiving uh yeah well that's i I think (laughs) it could be as well because i've grew up on the northern irish border pretty much whereas like you know you're in what is commonly referred to here as an occupied uh landscape where if you were intensely proud of being irish it was kind of associated with like the terrorists who were blowing up things and things like that and so maybe there was a little bit of like yeah i'm, I'm not that proud to be irish and i'm not you know <laughs> and uh, also then within the mind like well i'm not british either so i've sort of i never had i've never had an, ex- an ex- extreme uh, view of, of patriotism but what, from what i see though this all seems that 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 kind of feeling from american media have been really into thanksgiving and uh very patriotic it seems to be almost a thing of the past because i've noticed that like uh particularly this week you know in where, where we're uh, when we're recording people have leapt from halloween straight into christmas 
and Thanksgiving seems to have been <laughs> yeah. like I know, like uh, you know, mo- mo- like minute by minute podcaster Tap the Carlisle seems to have really j- jumped into Christmas from the instant November has started. Yeah, it was it was yes. it was great effort on her part to even wait for Halloween. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so that that to me it's like oh, or people maybe because of like the. You know the current administration in America. I know it's not very, it's very contentious and whatnot. And I know a lot of people, as time goes by, are like, well, you know, Thanksgiving and relationship with the Native Americans wasn't all sunshine and roses and stuff. And maybe Thanksgiving itself has sort of been, uh, it's been knocked off its perch a little bit. And uh, it, 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 it always strikes me very, very strange in that, uh, you know, I, I refer to all these other things that are like, oh yeah, Thanksgiving seems to be a great source of American pride. This movie could have just been a Christmas movie. I don't see any link to it being. It has to be specifically about Thanksgiving, unless John Hughes is like, "I've already done a Christmas movie, and I've got another one coming up. <laughs> I don't want to do the same holiday three freaking times." Yeah, I mean, th- this is more holiday-ish, as we were saying. Mm. I mean, Thanksgiving it could be Christmas. It could easily be yeah. Christmas. Well, I think, and that's that's in, in a way the the way that it is somewhat non-specific makes it even more of a Thanksgiving movie for me because so many other holidays, particularly religious holidays, have there's a specific story behind them or a religious connection. You talk about Christmas or Easter and, and things like that. Um, whereas, um, you know, if you ignore if you ignore the fact that there were people here on this land before the Europeans arrived and they were, they didn't really discover anything. They just took it. If you ignore that aspect <laughs> of it, um, you know, it's, it's, so it's, it's not, you know, it's not Christian or Jewish or, you know, it's not a religious holiday in its origin. And, you know, it's just, um, and certainly what it's becoming more so is just, you know, it's a time to, to celebrate family and get together and, and, and eat. Um, you know, mm. in, in Turkey and, and, and all that kind of it, stuff. It, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Turkey, which which helps as yeah. well as as a food stuff. Although the the, the birds are nice mm. enough on their own, but it's I think it's nice that there's, um, yeah, and it, it's I don't know what quite makes it different from we have got the July Fourth, the Independence Day, as a another sort of uniquely uh, you know United States holiday that is also not religious. Mm. In, in I wonder origin. if it, if it's but, a strategic uh, thing just for the purposes of making the trip Neil's enduring as miserable as possible. Because if it was Fourth of July, then it'd be in the summer, and it wouldn't be quite be as bad as it'd been. Like everything snowed in, there's friggin' ice everywhere. It's like and you know everything yeah. about this is like you know when it's Christmas. You got to do it. It's Christmas time. People are like, oh, the snow is so magical and all this nice twinkling lights and stuff. But this is just like, no, it's just cold and it's sleet it's and it's cold. dark and it's miserable. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I could see maybe that. that. That is why they're like, yeah, particularly too, it's Christmas as well because I guess maybe people would get a couple of days off, whereas Thanksgiving is very much like you come there for that one day. And I guess maybe like literally the next morning, Neil's like, well, back to work. <laughs> I was just here for the dinner. And uh, I don't know how many days people actually take off for it. Uh, whereas Christmas, I imagine, unless you're Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, <laughs> most people get like at least a, a couple of days off. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Cause I, I my, my current employer, we get the, the Friday. So Thanksgiving's always a Thursday and, and my current employer, we, they give us that Friday off um, to give us a you know, four day weekend. But I, I think that's the exception. And the only place where I've worked that they do that, most other places, either you're back in the office mm-hmm. the next day on Friday or you have to, you know, you burn a vacation day, mm-hmm. take, a, you know, use your holiday time if you're if you're traveling and, and need to take that Friday off. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So there you go. That's that's uh, that's, that's yeah. Thanksgiving. 
And um, no, because I know we are pretty much at the, at the end of the the day. It does have the 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 first big emotional blowout where Neil does have the fantastic right. rant at Dell and says mm-hmm. uh, what, what the, the comedy makes about like you know when you have any kind of anecdote, make sure that it's interesting and stuff, which is just like a nightmare for a podcaster to hear. <laughs> where you're like, oh god, yeah. here here's an idea, have a point. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, let's, uh, that there, there goes my whole. You know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a great. My whole speech. career as a podcaster relies on not having a point. <laughs> candy, candy is perfect in that scene too. It just the way he. Well, yeah, and, go, and going back to what we we're saying about his versatility as a, an actor and a performer, oh, yeah. where it's it, it it suddenly switches where so this this whole movie is setting us up as Dell is the outsized um, character, and mm-hmm. he's you know sort of the slapstick, and he's over the top. But in this scene, it's. It's uh, Neil. It's Steve Martin who goes crazy and gives us the humor, and then John Candy brings it back yeah, down yeah. with the the real mm. emotion. And they fantastically done too. Does all the facial expressions of it, the insults actually landing and genuinely affecting him and stuff? And then his comeback is very well thought out as well. It's like oh, you know, he he yeah. defends himself very well. Mm. Uh, the the only question that lingers for me in that scene is like, so he was in this vibrating bed and the beer apparently exploded all over it. Why (laughs) is Neil on the wet side? Why would you not be like, of course I'm going to take the wet side. I'm not going to make the other guy stay on that side. But you find out that, no, Neil is in, uh, for want of a better word, the wet patch of the bed. (laughs) The wet patch. That strikes me immediately as been like, no. Again, maybe I'm I'm, I'm turning back. I'm doing a, an anti Neil. I'm turning back on Dell again. Like, why wouldn't you be automatically right. like? Of course, I'm going to take the side that's the wettest, and I'm going to make sure that you're the most comfortable because you're an other human being, and I don't want to be inconsiderate to you. But uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's good, all good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, some of which we have answers to, and, and some of which yeah, we don't. well, uh, but so yeah, but. Uh, I, I, you know, if you guys, if you need to head on or anything, uh, I'll, I won't hold you up. Uh, I'll just yeah, we're we're got a place yeah. to go. But uh, well, I just I want to point so at the very end. So there's there's the blow up, mm-hmm. and then eventually they they do get into bed. Um, as as you said, the, uh, Neil ends up on the wet spot, and as they're sleeping, uh, someone sneaks in, uh, breaks into their room. Um, someone uh, credited as motel thief. Uh, the thief is Gary Riley. Um, and we don't see him much, and it's in the dark. It's it's nighttime, and he doesn't turn on a light because, of course, he's he's a thief. But uh, you might recognize him as Dave from summer school. So <laughs> oh. there were the, the, the two friends in summer school were like into to horror films. Oh, you you knew Dave from summer guys. school as well. Oh, I didn't realize you yeah. you and me went to the same summer school. Oh, you knew Dave. Oh, that's, yeah. oh, cool. Yeah, I know Dave from summer yeah. school. Yeah. Um, interesting. Another Steve Martin connection. He was in something I didn't I I didn't realize that any know this existed till till doing the research for for the podcast but he was in something called the jerk Two. Oh yeah t-o-o which is a tv movie sequel to the jerk which was a movie that uh steve martin um another funny one wrote wrote it acted mm. it um and steve martin has a credit on that but i think it's it's just based you know characters created by steve martin kind yeah. of thing. i don't think he had anything else to do with it um but most interestingly he was also in ruthless people with danny <laughs> Who is it, Johnny Dangerously, with Michael Keaton? <laughs> so it's all connected. The thing is, yeah, because Danny DeVito and Michael Keaton never starred in any other films together, did they? I think they, there's no other movies that they're. Oh no, no, they're in that oh, Dumbo movie that's coming out. That yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. Uh, directed by Tim. Yeah, Burton. I don't know Tim Burton. I don't know. I've seen many of his films. I don't know much about Tim Burton, unfortunately. But <laughs> yeah. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, and, and while I'm on the subject, I just also want to mention we, we talked a little bit about John Candy's uh, acting resume. Uh, we should also mention that uh, Steve Martin has been in a few movies of his own. Um, he was in uh, My Blue Heaven. Great. Great, great movie. Great movie. Um, also appearing in My Blue Heaven is Daniel Stern, mm-hmm. who was in uh, The Last Time with Michael. Yeah. <laughs> also in My Blue Heaven, Joan Cusack, who was in Toy Story. Hey. With Michael. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Steve Martin also in a, a another great movie, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, with Michael King, yeah, yeah. who would uh, go on to play. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And some Batman movies. What about that? that? Uh, Ask so, you guys. I, maybe it's a different over in America what you're seeing. Because my perception of Steve Martin's career is that late 70s, great, th- king of the 80s, like had a great run, and then hits the 90s, and that's just the end of Steve Martin. Like it's all pretty much unanimously kind of direct yeah, from that. Yeah, I, I would say he's more legend now than actor. Yeah. Like, just... Because the last thing I remember him yeah. being in that I saw uh, was that Sergeant Bilko movie, which is... I, I love the Phil Silver show, so I was like... When I was a kid, I loved the Phil Silver show, so I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And it was literally unwatchable. And th- it seemed bizarre that, like, Steve Martin must know what he's doing. Like, he's a, he's a guy who writes good he, – he has written good comedy material. He made he clawed his way up. So how do you get to that point of just, like, this is absolutely terrible? And then he's just, he just seemed to disappear for a while. And then now he's, like, Mr. Banjo guy who's out just playing on shows like, hey, Steve Martin with a banjo. I was like, that's kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> but is he planning a movie comeback? Is he going to try to reclaim his glory days? Or is he just gone – that was twenty years ago. I'm done with all with all that. Yeah, I, I well, it's it's funny you mention that because I was actually going to say I think I kind of agree as as an actor. Um, some you know some things like the Pink Panther. That oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, very good. It's you know, and, and and some of the things like like Cheaper by the Dozen. Some of those family those were hits, things, but that, I mean, not um, my type of movie. But I was those were hits. Of, but actually, I'm 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 quite a fan of his musical work, of his banjo work. Um, particularly, he put, he put it on uh, maybe two, three years ago at this point, but with um, Edie Brickell, of, uh, formerly of New Bohemians. Oh, yeah. um, really good stuff. I'm actually quite a fan. And he was he's very serious. You know, he's been he's been playing the banjo yeah. since forever. I mean, really grew up with it and, and incorporated it into his stand-up mm. routine when he was still doing, uh, you know, stage performing and, and, and uh, as, yeah. as a comedian. So he's, he's a, he is a serious performer. And I'm actually, you know, it's... it's it's good music if you're into, uh, you know, bluegrass, old timey type music. I think he, uh, you know, he plays well. So, and I, yeah, I get the feeling he's probably at the point, you know, he's, he's, you know, made a ton of money, can do whatever he wants to sure. do. Um, I would hope not. I, I do think in terms of, yeah, some of the, the the movie performances, the later that I'm not so much of a fan of. So if he, if he sticks to the mm. music, that's that's fine. Yeah, if you never had the. Yeah. Um, because maybe he probably has been offered things, but maybe he just doesn't want to do it. It could be more like, um, you know, when Chevy Chase sort of had a last around there with Community. He's like, oh, he's a major mm-hmm. part of a really beloved TV show. And now Chevy Chase could just disappear off the face of the earth. And people are like, oh, at least he, had, he ended on that good note. I know maybe behind the scenes there's a lot of controversy and whatnot, but, yeah. but at least yeah. within the, the normal viewing public, I'll be like, oh, yeah, he was good in that. Uh, where Steve Martin, like, that's the thing, though. When you said, like, oh, Cheaper by the Dozen and stuff, I had completely forgotten that those films existed. So in my mind, it's like, oh, yeah, Steve Martin has been around, I guess. It's just that I have not, I've just not yeah. watched any of the things he's been in. Yeah. Well, this is a while. So, yeah, just looking back, you know, around that 
Sergeant Bilko Tyler was father of the bride and father of Bly two, which I, I thought were you know didn't need to mm. be made. Um, Leap of Faith was was something where he's a little bit more Leap more dramatic role, great which movie. is a, you know good movie. Um, yeah, I mean he did uh, the the Spanish Prisoner, which is a, a Mamet David Mamet film, which yeah. I thought he was he was good in. Yeah, look, um, I, I, I actually really? maybe because I, I pitch it for everybody, but I would love to see like a real uh, renaissance. Like much like kind of like Bill Murray did in the, the mid two thousands, where you know Bill Murray had a good yeah. ten years where he was in absolute crap, and then he sort of came back to just choosing better material, I guess. Um, but I'd love to see like True Detective season four starring Steve Martin and just see what happens. Just like it's because be he good. could. I yeah. like it. That could it be good. Ho- get Hollywood on the phone. <laughs> That's right. Hollywood, make it happen. Hey, Hollywood. Um, yeah, the the the. Uh, I will say, I don't know, in, like, in closing thoughts for, for this day, uh, seems like Neil's pretty stressed, uh, understandably so. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just uh, best of luck, guys, with the, uh, the, the, rest of the, the rest of the show, because you, know, you get to talk about some, some great stuff that's coming up here. Even like little things like, oh, yeah. um, like the soundtrack to this is fantastic as well. Like I think in the next day you have the yeah. uh, Book of Love Bodigliani track, which is really beautiful. Like has a re- fantastic pop tune. And John Hughes has a great ear for that stuff. Where like even in yeah. like uh, the, the lamest of his movies, he usually have like a pretty top top notch soundtrack to go with it at least. So um, yeah, well, so, so thank you very much and and good luck on your your currently ongoing podcast. So speaking of which, I know we talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but you know, let the you know the folks know if they want to hear more from you, and I'm I'm sure they do. Um, you know where where can you go to hear more? Uh, well, yeah, I'm uh, one of the hosts of Bat Minutes, uh, formerly Bat Minute eighty nine, and then we moved off off the eighty nine movie. So now we're just like, oh, now we're Bat Minute. Uh, yeah, we're uh, covering the Tim Burton Batman movies. Uh, you know, one minute at a time. Actually, the first the, the first four Batman movies, those ones before pre Nolan Batman, we're covering all that. Uh, except for the Adam West movie, which is m- making this pitch even more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and we've got the uh, the entirety of the first movie completed, and at this point, because this will be coming out mid November, I guess. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll be about around about the time Catwoman's sort of becoming a thing, and Batman Returns now when this episode is airing, uh, and. You can find us on, you know, iTunes and all good podcatchers. Uh, we basically just do what uh, Sean did with Spinal Tap and Groundhog Day, <laughs> in that we're analyzing all of them one minute at a time. And we've had a, a spate of terrific guests who accompany us, including Sean German, who was in the first uh, 89 movie and is lined up at some point to come in for Batman Returns if he if he wants to like I'm not got a firm confirmation from him there but uh, he's down in the schedule yeah, anyway. I, would, I, would, I would love to if you if you had me I was mm-hmm. uh, I always love talking about the the yeah. Batman. And uh, yeah, Brian, we can we can. Uh, I know. I think we we're ta- talking midweek about getting Sean on with Tabitha, who we've not had on before. But if you want to come on the show at some point yourself, I'm sure we can work you in at at, at some point. So. Uh, Set it up, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. All right. Yeah, big, big uh, Michael Keaton Batman. Oh, yeah. Oh, the best, the best. <laughs> the thing is, like, I could strategically wait, though, until, like, oh, we're completely booked for Batman Returns. But if you want to talk about Val Kilmer, we have got a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like Forever. Forever's not. I like that movie. The weird, weird thing about Forever is that, like, I think I've said this a couple times on the podcast, is that we've experienced with guests that people are very enthusiastic about the first two, and people are dying to come back for Batman and Robin because it's so much to talk about. Whereas yeah. Forever yeah. is legitimately like the red-haired stepchild, where it's like, oh yeah, that's not a bad movie. But it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I could come in for that. It's like, it's it's the one that seems to get the least enthusiasm, except from one of our... Oh, really? There's one of our guests who says, she says it's her favorite out of every Batman movie ever, and she will die on that hill. So wow. she's off. Yeah, I, I, li- I like the movie. I mean, I think the, the first two are definitely much better. Mm-hmm. But I think Forever's a great... I would watch that yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I have a lot of love Forever. But then I was eight when it came out. So I was in prime... <laughs> Batman Forever mode yes. that summer. It's the first one I'll be because the other two I was like, yeah, I remember watching them when I was a kid, but I don't have the the memories of like Bat Fever or anything. But with Forever, it's like, oh, I remember right. that summer. I remember freaking you two blaring out of every storefront and freaking yep, Riddler yep. sign everywhere, and it was fantastic. The thing is, if you watch the movie now, you're like, what's the deal? But like, oh, the atmosphere <laughs> and the build up to it was amazing. If you were an eight year old boy, <laughs> so. <laughs> I have a lot of love for that film as well, but uh, yeah, you're, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get in touch, try to work you in uh, somewhere. And, yeah, yeah, right, great. No, I would definitely like to uh, on tape. So we'll yeah. hold, you to, hold you to that. Um, so yeah, so folks, check out uh, you know check out the Bat Minute um, and come back. Well, for for us, uh, now I mentioned I did uh, this is Spinal Tap and Groundhog Day and a couple other stuff. Um, I'm sending people to uh, to my personal site. Uh, well, uh, well, me and my wife Catherine, we have a site. Catandshawn.org. It's a C-A-T and Sean, S-E-A-N dot org, O-R-G. And uh, when you go there, you'll just see a listing of, of all the different podcasts, um, you know, that I've done in the past, the guest appearances, including uh, when, when I talked about the, the mimes of, uh, of Batman um, back way back when with, with, with John and Isle. And, uh, you know, wherever you went to find this, come on back tomorrow for the next day of Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Mm-hmm.